Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, this is Allison Kay, and welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. It is a beautiful blue sky, sunny day where I am at. I hope things are wonderful where you're sitting as well. We love talking to disruptors. We love talking innovation. We love talking social good. And we've had quite a number of guests on the show that are talking about the problems with one-time use plastic or the problems in the plastics industry or the problems in waste and manufacturing. And so we have just a fabulous guest for you today who's going to tell us all about his business. And he is with Azure Printed Homes. And it is Ross McGuire, CEO and co-founder. So Ross, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alison. Thank you for having us. Hey, tell everybody in your own words what Azure does and what its promises to the world. So what we do is we 3D print modular homes in the factory and the material that we use to 3d print with is a recycled plastic so we complete the full assembly and prefabrication in the factory so that they literally leave our factory on the back of a flatbed are delivered to people's homes and are ready to be plugged in and lived in immediately so it takes a lot of the hassle away from traditional construction and at the same time we're using a material that is filling landfills and filling our oceans, and we're finding a new way to use it. So it's we see it as tack- tackling multiple problems and issues across the world. So we've talked to people before who are starting, who do more with this offsite construction model, and it's a big—I don't want to say a big growing trend, but it's certainly something that is is coming up. Can you give us a little insights to? just this general industry space and what an average person can expect to start seeing in the next five, 10 years and so down the line? Yeah, I think generally offsite construction is has been more popular in kind of multifamily situations where you've got multiple modules stacked to create apartments and buildings such as that. I think that it's going to be become more of a popular avenue for custom homes so that People aren't having to wait months, sometimes in some people's cases, years for custom homes to be created and completed. And it just takes a lot of the headache away from the stress and I guess unreliability of of traditional construction because you're impacted by so many unknowns going into a on-site construction project that, that, yeah, doing it off-site in a controlled environment in a factory just takes a lot of those unknowns away. I think, Russ, there's a lot of challenges. Even the UN and their sustainable development goals and their cities projects are affordable housing for all is such a big impact on all of us. And I know if you talk to a lot of Gen Zs are like, I'm never going to own a home. I'm not even going to try to own a home. It's unattainable. And so that's what I love about what companies like that you're doing is, you know, it's lots of different reasons that people would investigate this type of solution. And the fact that it is using recycled plastics 
is just so incredible. So I want to take a step back because th this isn't the first company that you've been a founder of. So give us just a little history for what you did before and how you came to this opportunity, because I know you're originally from London and now you're in California. So fill in a little of the gaps for us. Sure. If I go <clears throat> right back to the beginning, I grew up in a small town just east of London and in the county of Essex and had a had a five minute walk to my what we call primary school and then a 10 minute walk to my secondary school. So everything was very, very local and suburban. And then I I went and did a, a degree in civil engineering in, in Nottingham in the Midlands of the UK. Did uh, completed my master's there and then joined at the time one of the UK's largest GC companies and had some great experiences there. I worked on the NATO headquarters just outside of London, did some luxury apartment blocks in central London. And after just two years, I kind of felt <laughs> ready to start my own company. So I, I started doing uh, more on a kind of a contracting freelance basis, did a lot of remodels of commercial and residential space in and around London and and was eight years into growing that business when I met my now wife who's American and we did a long distance thing for a couple of years and then I decided to make the full-time move over here to Los Angeles and yeah shortly after that met my co-founder Jean in a Starbucks on Santa Monica Boulevard and we started Azure yeah a little over three years ago. I like the concept. I like the visual of, I just met my co-founder at a Starbucks on Santa Monica Boulevard and the oh, rest yeah. is history. Exactly. I make it sound random, but it's not as if we met in the line. We we arranged to meet that. I reached out to him. Uh, okay. There you go. Local, uh, a local GC, but we, yeah, we picked a, a Starbucks to meet at for the first time. But yeah, it's, it's been a, you know, very crazy, uh, crazy route to where I am right now. We're talking to you more in the early stages of the company, and I know that you're doing fundraising and you're really preparing for growth and you have kind of orders already going. So tell us a little bit about what the business model is and who you're marketing to, um, and then how you're generating this first stage growth. So we have have created these various size modules. So we have the smallest one is 120 square feet, which is like a we call it a backyard studio, so you can use it as an office or a workout space in your backyard. So that is primarily targeted towards homeowners who, particularly during the pandemic, who need either an office in their backyard or just a, an escape room <laughs> in their backyard for a, a low cost. And a, the biggest advantage is that it's permit-free because it's a, of a size that doesn't require a a permit for most municipalities. That's one size and that's more of a kind of B2C model. And then the larger sizes we do are all kind of kitchen and bathroom installed as well. So they're living units where we have 180 square foot, which is effectively a tiny home kind of size all the way up to a 900 square foot, which is a two bedroom. And these are still for homeowners in like the ADU market as we have in California, mm -hmm. but also to B2B customers who either build to rent developers, which is a big growing market, and other developers that are either using them as single family homes or rentals. But, uh, but yeah, so far our growth and interest has been purely organic. We haven't really started to market the, the units at all. We've had 
publications reach out. I think you said you saw us in Business Insider. Uh, yeah, I learned about you in Business Insider. Yeah, and there's been other similar articles that have gone out and also YouTube videos. People that have seen our product and then covered us in a YouTube video has been a... Uh, a pleasant surprise to us, we would see a spike in sales and wonder what the source was and then realize it was a YouTube video that's that's gone out. So it's been amazing so far because I was, I'm obviously passionate about this from the start, but to not really know what reception your kind of passion project's going to get in the wide world is, is something you can never really be sure of. But the fact that it's organically grown so far is just yeah, kind of cool to experience. Yeah, and I've seen some of the YouTube videos as as well. There's nothing better than getting that earned media that is because it's fans. It's people that love the space to start with. And then they go and say, this is really cool. You have to endorse it. That's priceless. I also know, tell us a little bit about what you've done for fundraising. Because when you talk about any kind of manufacturing business, you know, you need that capital to buy the equipment, not only to cover your payroll and other things, but to just give us a little snapshot of the fundraising journey that you've been on. Yeah, particularly for our solution where it's 3D printers. So we haven't selected the the, the least capital intensive way of creating homes, but (laughs) yeah, we have done a mixture of financing, like the first printer that we're going to have up and running in the next, hopefully month and a half before the end of the year, working our way through the orders that we've built up. Is, uh, is a majority from our own financing. We recently started a, a crowdfunding campaign to start because we were seeing these pre-orders shoot up and I think we're over, <clears throat> we're now over 18 million in pre-orders. And we, and from one printer, we are able to print around $8 million worth in revenue. So we're, that first one that we've, that we financed ourselves, we're already overbooked on. So we decided to start a crowdfunding campaign for a number of reasons because we are early in the in our development progress and b because we'd seen the enthusiasm that we were getting from from the general public that it was an opportunity to kind of build our community and bring the community involved in having the opportunity to invest as well we started that earlier in the year and we actually i'm not sure when this will be released but we're talking at the beginning of october now and it was last week that we closed the campaign in it it was it did really well we raised over 600,000 in crowdfunding and and it's helped us to start working towards printers number 2 and 3 so that we can start getting through that 18 million that we've stacked up quicker than the kind of two and a half years that it would take at the moment yeah and if our listeners are interested you did that crowdfunding on republic so people can yes. go and take a peek at republic and see how you all approached your crowdfunding Let's talk, let's go back to your co-founder. Let's go to relationships because you can't have a company that scales swiftly and is on a big growth trajectory if you don't have co-founders that know their lanes and know their shared vision. So tell us a little bit about how you all split your focus and your expertise. I think that's, yeah, that's the beauty of of mine and Jean's kind of working relationship is that it's... It's slightly telepathic. We don't need to necessarily, we almost, we know our lane so well that we get to an end of a joint meeting and we'll know who's taking what from that meeting and running with it. Because Gene's close to, well, over 20 years my senior. So there's an age gap, but there's definitely 
and we we, we certainly complement each other. That's probably why it makes it so easy to separate who does what because his strengths are my weaknesses and my strengths are his weaknesses. So there's there's quite a obvious d- dividing line for us in terms of who who takes what for uh, for yeah distinguishing tasks and whatnot. I need to be focused on. So it works well in in that instance. Hardest lesson learned so far on this company compared to the other company that you started? They're both very different. This has been about something very new and and releasing it into the world. Whereas, yeah, what I was doing before was taking traditional processes and doing them as efficiently as possible. So this is extremely different. And I guess in terms of hardest part it's literally just getting it off the ground you took out it and i probably haven't explained this yet but like we started the company a little over three years ago and we started with a okay let's kind of focus on what's in front of us let's be a gc let's build and then get where we can and we'd done that successfully for a couple of years we got off to a very quick start and we our revenue increased two x for each year that we went through. So we'd built up a legacy business that we could be like, okay, now let's look at what can be done differently and how it's going to benefit everything. So we had the benefit of, I guess, for a construction term, built a foundation for ourselves to then almost do our R and D and all of those things as that business was was progressing. The pandemic maybe helped to a certain degree and most of 20 end of 2020 beginning of 2021 was dedicated to just speaking to people all over the world building our building our knowledge and understanding and network for what could what we already conceived and wanted to create and the yeah so you're you've got i've gone off topic but your initial question was the hardest <laughs> yeah what was the hardest lesson learned I always call it like naked truths. What's the hardest thing or what was the, oh, huh, that was an interesting thing to learn while building this company so far. Yeah, there's been so many. I think it's just the growth side of it and the fundraising side of it that you've got to, you've got to people telling people that you're 3D printing a house. They're A, what's 3D printing and B, how, what? And you're using recycled plastic. So there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of bringing people on board and and introducing people into a completely new idea. So, yeah, the hardest part is kind of making something very new being accepted by uh, by others. And I gotta imagine there's lots of questions. I know one on one of the videos it was covering, like what temperature can this house go in? It surely can't go in cold weather. Or it surely can't go in extreme heat. And the answer was. That's part of the mechanics of how you print it is where the house is going to be located. What are the other kind of common questions you get related to what you do? Microplastics is a common one. People are obviously concerned with air quality and whatnot. And we have been as well, like running tests and putting measuring devices inside our units to know if there are, what the level of formaldehydes and VOCs and microplastics are in the air. And Thankfully, yeah, like the product that we're using is very innate and non-toxic. That, and the fact that we seal it in as well is another reason why I think those levels are so low and at a safe point. So, yeah, there's there's lots of, but even people come at it from like a, how do you fix it to a foundation or like those sort of levels of technicality, which, yeah, we've obviously worked through, but 
there's so many, it's a real kind of education process to go through when people first come across the company. So that was the beauty of the Republic page was there was like a Q and A, or you could, there's a notification where people could ask questions and, uh, and I think we're using most of that for our own FAQ on the website now where, because it's, I think we ended up getting to around 350 separate (laughs) questions that that people had. So yeah, it's bound to happen with something so different, but uh, but yeah, luckily now we've, we've, we've got all the answers. So tell me about your culture that you're trying to build as you're building your company, because we always talk about how difficult it is to, as a company like yours has a rapid scale, as a CEO, you add more layers and you get further away from your initial workers. But what's the culture that you hope to retain as you grow? I think it's going to be the same as when we started the company. That's something that Gene and I sat down like three years ago. What do we want this? What are our values? What do we want this to be? And grit grit was a big one. Integrity and, and transparency are big for us as well. But we want people to kind of be inspired and enjoy what they're doing as well. The fact that we have something that is serving a greater purpose than just giving ourselves a job is serving a environmental and a social positive change across the world that is just like a, a big thing that anyone that we speak to or interview that wants to join the company, their key things that we're looking for to know that they're interested in, not just because it's cool tech, but because it's it's a new way of creating homes that is going to benefit a lot of people. Oh, that's fantastic. What brings you joy? What do you do to keep balanced? I'm imagining you on a surfboard someplace. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do a lot, of, a lot of working in London? <laughs> yeah, I still need to learn. I, I've recently had, I've got a two and a half year old and a, and a second one who's due to arrive anytime now. The, uh, they're a big kind of release for me getting home and uh, and spending time with my family and because of the hours that we obviously work the time that I'm not working is always with with them at the moment so that's my big release I get to play I do get to play soccer once a week or football as I like to call it um yeah they're my main releases ah that sounds wonderful (laughs) So big ambitions. If we were to talk to you in two to three years, what would be the story? What would be the message you'd be telling us then? Two to three years, our growth roadmap is to add the second and third printer that we're talking about earlier. And once we're at that stage and proving the concept and how efficient it is, we're going to be creating one of these similar size facilities in other locations across the States. Our plan is to have a, another three facilities spread across the states where we're seeing the most demand. So right now it's kind of Texas, Florida, um, and uh, yeah, Northeast, Northwest states that we're seeing the most interest. So within two to three years, we should be in the middle of that kind of growth phase. And then beyond, that's the beauty of these kind of articles like Business Insider and Fast Company and others that we're getting people from all over Europe, from South America, from Australia, from East Asia are looking for when we can set up a facility and a production line in in those locations. So that's, that's beyond the two and three year line, but that's what we're working towards. 
That's a, a lovely vision. Ross, time comes up quickly on this show. If people want to find out more or connect with you, connect with the company, where should they go and what should they do? They should go to azureprintedhomes.com. If we if we are still taking investments at the time that this goes out, then there's a investment page. So it's azureprintedhomes.com slash invest. And uh, yeah, we're looking to continue to grow and continue to bring more people into what we're doing and the bigger community and stronger community we can build through that is better for us and for everyone involved. Thank you so much. Hey, to our listeners, if Ross shared something that you think somebody else needs to hear, or if you think they need to know about Azure Printed Homes, pass along a copy of this episode and this recording and encourage them to go check it out, the information that we shared with you. And we always say, always be disruptive and keep your eye in the future. Ross, thank you again for being such a great guest. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.